It's not unusual to find plenty of wine caves and wine cellars in wine country. What is unusual is discovering a sophisticated broadcast facility inside these well-protected and often top-secret chambers. But maybe it really isn't that surprising that America's number one wine broadcast originates from the soul of wine country. And it is our great privilege to do all we can to inspire you. If you drink wine simply because, well, it's a drink, we've got our work cut out. For literally thousands of years, wine has fueled celebrations, ended conflicts, and provided the ultimate connection between one human being and another. It makes food taste better, lifts spirits, sparks our imagination, and beckons us to slow down and love life. If that all sounds good to you, you're in the right place. So sit back, clear your head, put any worries you have on hold, and join us as we go in search of this week's Grape Encounter. But be warned, we speak a much different language than what you typically experience in most wine-centric environments. But you didn't come here because you're ordinary, did you? Good, because your host, David Wilson, is here to take you far, far away from the beaten path. Here's David. And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter. And it's a really, really funny thing about today's show and today's guest. I have not had this guest on for a really long time. I wanted to go back and and figure out how long ago it was that I had him on because he's been one of my all-time favorite guests. And I check it out and get this. It's exactly 10 years ago. I don't mean 10 years ago in a month and three quarters. I'm talking about 10 years ago to the day. And that was just totally an accident or maybe it's serendipity. I don't know which, but he is one of the most interesting people in the wine business. And he is a wealth of information because he has his own very successful podcast. He and his father founded a really iconic organization, which you will know. It is the Wine of the Month Club. And my guest is Paul Calancarium Jr., right, Jr.? It's J- Yeah, JR. Call me JR, because <laughs> Calancarium is too long. <laughs> Do you get to take partial credit for starting the Wine of the Month Club? I mean, technically, I guess your dad started it, right? But then he sold it to you. He sold it to me in a very short negotiation. Uh, here's the price. Here are the terms. Good luck. We're all counting on you. And that was 1988. But we started in 1972. Well, your whole family story is really super interesting. Before we even get into that, I I just wanted to say something about wine of the month. Because we all, we use that term like we use the term Kleenex. You know, where it's, it's wine of the month club is a very specific club that's been around for a very long time. And I believe that you were the very first wine club, right? Absolutely. The very first group to decide to try and ship you wine. And it was purely by accident. And, you know, it's funny you say that trademark law, by the way, as you know, is the worst law to engage in because it's very expensive and you can win and not win any money. It's just a pain. So Wine of the Month Club, we own the trademark. It's, uh, yes, I think you're right. It would be used more as a service, you know, moniker these days, like Fruit of the Month or Book of the Month. But uh, we do own the federal registration for this. I hear people, well, they ask me this question all the time. They go, which, if I was going to join a Wine of the Month Club, what would it be? And I go, well, there's, <laughs> there's only one. There's only one. <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy one. But they just use the term that way. So when you think about it, Paul, 
there are just such a plethora of wine clubs out there. Now, I have one for Pete's sake, but I don't call it one of the month club because mm-hmm. I know you'd sue my butt. Oh, yeah. We're, we're big on litigation. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, every, every winery has one for the most part. And frankly, if they didn't have one, they probably couldn't survive. In, in this market, for, for at right. least for the small guys, right? They really have to have that wine club. It really is what puts them over the finish line, I think. So in a way, the entire success of the wine industry rests on your shoulders. Well, it is a $3 billion industry. Yeah, well, it would probably only been about a $457 industry if they didn't have their wine club. So you, we have you to thank. <laughs> there weren't any wine clubs in the industry when I bought this for my dad. In fact, the reason I know that is I found the original document that my dad and I had written together, not the contract, because I have that too, but it's his handoff document. It was some of the financials about how he was doing and competitors in the marketplace, other things that were going on in the industry to think about when I took over the company. And there were about four. And it was all the main players. It was like Mondavi, Sebastiani, Mirasu, that kind of group. And Today, it's critical. You're absolutely correct because the winery can make a wine at the manufacturing cost, whatever that might be, and then they can get a regular retail price for the wine, not have to pay a wholesaler, not have to pay a salesperson, not have to pay a distributor in between and get it right into the hands of the people that love their wines. So it's a critical part of their business model and particularly at COVID because there was no more tasting room traffic. And so, as you know, being part of that business. If it weren't for the wine clubs, I think there would have been casualties in the wine industry like we wouldn't even be able to comprehend because that's what kept people going. It already has been catastrophic, don't get me wrong, but it would have been way more catastrophic if it weren't for the wine clubs. Now, for me, I just ceased my wine club because I just have a small wine club, um, you know, with my shop uh, up on the Central Mm -hmm. Coast. But for me, I had to kind of set it aside because my wine club is more about the pickup parties and, you know, the actual being there physically present to uh, pick up your wines and, and what they pay for in large part is that party that we throw. And with no party, you know, I just felt like it was probably made sense just to set it aside. But I thought I was setting it aside for a quarter. I didn't know I was going to be setting it aside for what now is going to be like four quarters, five quarters. An amazing dynamic COVID caused. And just before COVID hit, in February sometime, maybe even early March, we were in Napa. We stopped and I had an interview with the Napa Valley Register wine writer. Yeah. And, and you bring up a really interesting point because a lot of small wineries had their clubs and they're functioning. They're still in business. A lot of wineries that didn't have clubs or didn't have a reasonably robust e-commerce site yeah. where they're used to things like chatting or email marketing, uh, they're going to struggle. There'll be some takeovers. There'll be some buyouts. There'll be some land sold uh, along with the fires in Napa. You know, it's just devastating stuff for the industry. On the flip side, robust e-commerce sites that sell wine have done very well. I mean, the Wine of the Month Club included, we've we've seen an uptick in traffic. We've seen an uptick in the type of wines people are buying. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, people actually drinking better. I got a question for you. Yeah. And, I, and I'm trying to find the answer. So, I, and I think you probably will get it. But people had disposable income on their on their kitchen table now during COVID, and so they decide, well, I'm going to spend the extra money, get that Austin Hope Cabernet or or uh, something from Wolf Cellars or whatever, and spend a little more money. How are they going to go back? How is somebody going to say, well, I've been drinking fifty dollar Cabernet 
And now that uh, we're, we're no longer you know shut in, I'm going to go back to drinking you know fifteen dollar end cap market wine. This is wine. so strange that you bring this up because it's one of the questions I I had for you today, and I didn't expect by any means you suggesting that people are actually spending more money per bottle of wine because I've sort of perceived it as being opposite of that, that people are are buying a lot of wines at that $20, $30 price point. But that's my world. But are, So you're saying that people have some extra Samoles around and they're spending them on more expensive wine. Are we talking about stimulus money? Is that what we're referring to? No, I think it's just they're not vacationing. They're not oh, going on the plane. They're not uh, visiting. You know, okay. So there's a little more just disposable income to, to do something with. Gosh, you, you make a great point there because I, I really wasn't looking at it from that perspective. But That's the, exactly the point. Um, and I had a long conversation with a supplier of mine who primarily sells and bottles for people all over the country. If you're a restaurant chain uh, and you need some barrel-aged, you know, bourbon barrel-aged Cabernet, he'll make it for you. And so they make a lot of wine. And he and I were chatting. He says, yeah, we're, we're going to see a downtick in that business because what you just said, if I'm online and I'm not used to buying wine online because that's the other point I was going to make is that the number of new users that are coming to the websites to buy wine that had never done that before. And they're they're going to buy the Kendall Jacksons. They're going to buy the stuff they know. They're going to buy the Camus, the Austin Hope, but wines in that price range, the Sebastianis, they're going to buy the stuff they know. Less inclined to buy some private label or something that's obscure. All right. We got so much to talk about. We're talking to Paul Kalamkarian Jr., and he is the owner of the Wine of the Month Club. He's got into the wine business with his dad. And it's a real super interesting story. I can't really say it was the wine business. It was really the pharmacy business. It's very complicated. We're going to untangle that when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Stay with us. Many wine enthusiasts describe wine as a kind of time machine that can transport you to the place and time it was created without leaving home. Whether you're sipping a Sangiovese from Italy or a German Riesling, tasting is traveling. That being said, Total Wine & More is like the world's biggest airport. With more than 8,000 wines from every corner of the world in their stores, you can be incredibly adventurous and savor every journey. Plus, you can do all of your shopping online at TotalWine.com and pick up your order at your local store or curbside for the ultimate in safe shopping. There's always more in store at Total Wine and More. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. 
I can't believe that we just went through an entire segment of Grape Encounters, and I didn't give you most of the background on my guest, Paul Callum Carrion Jr., who runs the original, the original, the first Wine of the Month Club. It's called the Wine of the Month Club, for Pete's sake, and anybody else is just a cheap imposter. That's, that's the way that goes. I like that. <laughs> Paul, that can be your new trademark. Anybody else is just yeah. a cheap imposter. <laughs> but anyway, Paul, let's talk about the, the background. It, it's such an interesting story. The Wine of the Month Club is the oldest sustained mail-order wine club in the United States, right? And it, and it begins, though, back in what the late or the middle to late 50s when your dad was uh, buying pharmacies. Correct. And he's buying... You got that right. In fact, it started in 58. The idea started his affinity to wine started in 1959 because Eisenhower served Charles Krug Cabernet to the Queen of England. That's what yeah, got him interested? Was, and that was the first American president to serve an American wine. The first American president to serve American wine at a state dinner was Lyndon B. Johnson, and he served the same Cabernet from Charles Krug, their special selection. And my dad thought that was interesting. Uh, L.A. Times article, he ordered a case from his friend in the Lions Club, and uh, that started his sort of academic pursuit of the knowledge of wine. And that sort of culminated in 1969 when he bought his first wine shop. It was really a liquor store at the time, uh, along with a pharmacy. So you have that right. So was your dad a pharmacist? Is, is that the title that we would give him? By trade, uh, he came to America from uh, Cairo, Egypt in 1949 uh, as a uh, pharmacy student at USC to get his master's degree. And uh, <laughs> the one pharmacy that he had in Palos Verdes Estates had a an attached liquor store. Right. And the liquor store was making money. Uh, the pharmacy wasn't. So my dad told the proprietor, look, if you want to sell me the pharmacy, you got to sell me the liquor store. And guess what? Uh, liquor store patrons are way more fun than pharmacy patrons, okay? So let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was reading a long time ago about Wine of the Month Club, and I, I first became familiar with your dad's story. I was kind of chuckling because I think that original liquor store, it was a liquor store selling tobacco yeah. and all this stuff that is not really good for you. Right. And it's all emanating from a pharmacy. It's like – Let's get them sick and then we can heal them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it's true though. People were coming to the pharmacy, they're aching and they're telling my dad their problems. And my dad was a very compassionate guy. He's still around 92 years old today. Oh, wow. But boy, you come into the liquor store and you're like, hey, yo, I'm going to have a party. I've got guests coming over. What am I going to pour? It just became more intriguing. But at some point, my father had six pharmacies open throughout Los Angeles. That is crazy. But he just got bored, as I understand it, with retail and just decided I'm going to get out of this. And was the retail stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, so was the wine of the month the last thing that he unloaded? Yeah. So, we, what happened was, without getting into too many details of how the club started, but he started selecting wines at the beginning of the month at the, at the liquor store because he really was tired of walking from behind the prescription counter, behind the back door, into the wine shop, and that famous picture of my father and I that's on the website. And so, he thought, I'm just going to pick two wines at the beginning of the month and let my customers just grab those because they like my recommendations. As people left Palos Verdes, there were many executives from the aerospace industry that lived there and moved out of town. They call him up and say, just ship, go ahead and ship them to me. And it got oh, to the point where wow. he was shipping more than he was actually delivering locally. And that's when he thought, you know what? I like this business. I can go to work you know, anytime I want. And I fill the orders and I ship them out and I go home. You know, It's a lot 
simpler than That's cool. counting pills or stocking the shelf. So let's go back to that period in time because while you're sitting in and you're doing deliveries at a high-end wine shop in Palos Verdes, and for those who are listening who are not familiar with Palos Verdes, we're talking snooty, uppity, highbrow kind of a place. And I'm sorry for my listeners in, in Palos Verdes. That was then, okay? But <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is an affluent we, neighborhood. Let's put yeah, it that yeah, way. Very, yeah, yeah, very affluent. <laughs> but the rest of the world is just getting into wine, and they're drinking. There's probably eight or ten wines that they're drinking, right? They're drinking Blue Nun and Cracklin' Rosé and Gallo Hardy Burgundy. There, there were two worlds going on here, wasn't you, there? You and I are the same age, aren't we? Because yeah. uh, that's what we had. We had Lancers, Matus, uh, Boone's Farm, Blue Nun. But there were still the Sebastianis, the Mondavis. There, I think there were 25 or 26 winers in Napa at the time. Yeah. Or maybe 50. I think 54 when, when the Judgment of Paris came out. So my dad, was he's a very academic guy. He wanted to learn. And so he started his trek. He traveled the world. He went to Napa. He went to Sonoma. He started to study. He read. He started the uh, Friends of Wine Association, which we're going to restart here soon in Southern California cool. um, to learn. And that opened a lot of doors. And people will tell you, uh, some of the old timers in Napa that are still around that used to sell him wine will tell you he created the idea of actually tasting something before it went on the shelf in the store. In the wow. 70s, the liquor salesman came around with the Jack Daniels and the scotches and the bourbons and the tequilas and said, oh, by the way, we have Mondavi, Cabernet, Sebastiani, Chenin Blanc, or whatever. And they would just put it on the shelf because that's, that's what they did. And my dad said, no, I'm going to taste everything that goes on the shelf first, and I will reject some stuff. And that's what we do today. Well, things were with wine pretty loose in those days because, if I'm not mistaken, wines like Gallo Hardy Burgundy didn't have much Burgundy in there, right? You know, Burgundy was more like a d describing a mood or a feeling more than actually what was in the bottle. But then things got strict as time went on. But, you know, you're talking about the Judgment of Paris. So that happened in 1976. But the folks who competed in that from California, they are very famous places now, but they weren't then. They're just farmers. Chateau Montalena uh, was not even uh, Jim Barrett, who was our neighbor. He used to taste wine with my father all the time. And Bo Barrett, uh, I went to school with uh, his brother, Kevin. They had just bought the winery. So the, I think they bought it in 70 or 71. The 73 Chardonnay that won the Judgment of Paris was only the second vintage that Mike Gergich made for them. And yeah. they made the 72, which we featured in the club here. So... It wasn't even for farming. I mean, well, actually, you're right. It was for farming. They weren't interested in the wine business. They were looking for a tax credit that was available to them if they got into agriculture. And they're like, well, we're not going to grow wheat, and we're not going to grow beans, and we're not going to grow corn. Hey, grapes and wine, how fun. And that's what set them on the path to acquire Chateau Montalena, which had been shuttered for years, I think 20 or 50 years. So but it's a pretty famous story. And you said exactly the right thing. They won the Judgment of Paris in 76. Mr. Barrett didn't leave his law practice until like 85 or something like that or something in that range i forgot so it took him a good 10 years before the winery was able to sustain a lifestyle that he was used to as an attorney we've got to take a break but i just wanted to throw in here that a handful of years ago i was invited to mike gergich's 90th birthday party and what do you think they broke out for us? They actually broke out some 74. But still, you got a really good sense of, of how formidable those wines were that they could hang in there for that length of time. Just crazy. That wine was still pretty dark. And I want to taste it. Who are we kidding? It tasted like old wine. 
but it was very much intact and just reeking with history and just amazingly well made. All right, we're going to take a quickie break here. I can't wait to come back. You know, usually I like to just kick back during the commercial breaks and, you know, just take my time getting back on the air. But when Paul Kellum-Carrion Jr. is on with you, I don't even want to take commercials. (laughs) That's just the way that is. (laughs) Paul, you're a lot of fun. We're going to take that break and we will be right back with more Grape Encounters. When we think of sommeliers, we naturally think of wine, right? Well, not so fast. Did you know there are sommeliers for milk, salt, mustard, and even chocolate? Thanks to endless food shows, off-the-wall cookbooks, celebrity chefs, and Google, of course, meals have become so imaginative that wine pairing can be as daunting as it is delightful. And that's one of the best reasons to make Total Wine & More an essential part of your culinary adventures. With more than 8,000 wines from every corner of the world to choose from, Total Wine & More can make mealtime magical. And no matter how exotic or off-the-wall your meal may be, your Total Wine expert is all about finding the perfect match. But if you just want a little inspiration without leaving home, you can log on to TotalWine.com for awesome food pairings, enticing discoveries, and online ordering. There's a world of wine in store. A total wine and more. We're back with more grape encounters. Hey, please do us an enormous favor and like us on Facebook. It's the very best way to learn about other opportunities that we may not share on the broadcast. Also, join our mailing list on grapeencounters.com. Listeners on our contact list receive some exclusive opportunities. Become an insider. Enough said. Here's your wine captain. David Wilson. Okay, well, we are just like a week away from Valentine's Day. And 10 years ago, when we were a week away from Valentine's Day, I wanted to do a show about how to creatively woo the one you love or the one that you want to love you. And there is no greater mind where romance is concerned than Paul Calumcarian Jr., Founder of the Wine of the Month Club. Wow. You got, yeah, you're, you know, look at you. You got the big shoulders. Uh, so you, wife would argue with you. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me good advice back then. And then um, this thing comes across my desk from your publicist or your PR person that you were for select people doling out Valentine's suggestions. And I went, holy yes. smoke. So what do you got where Valentine's Day is concerned? This is a tricky one, Paul. Because we've got people that are, you know, staying at home. Uh, Some of the Valentine's Day celebrations might even be virtual. My new thing at home, and and I I encourage all your listeners to to just try this, sparkling wine champagne, wherever you want to get it from, is not for celebration only. Part of the regular regimen of wine consumption at home. And I've been huge on Brut Rosé right now. Uh, Just enjoying it. I have, I've had Clovis Tétanger on the, on the show. I've had the manager of Boulanger on the show. And they all agree with this, of course, as you do now. So I set out for Valentine's to find a gift that's kind of fun and cool. And so I asked all the vendors to bring their best Brut Rosés of all price ranges. So I started tasting through them a couple Tuesdays ago. I tasted like, I don't know, like 60 or 70 Brut Rosés. In the middle of the tasting day, 
Somebody brings me a Prosecco from Pasqua. So on the bottle is an image of the graffitied wall right. as you enter into Juliet's courtyard in Verona. Right. So can it be more romantic than that? That you're staring at a, a Brut Rosé reminiscing of, of Juliet's balcony? I know that it is Juliet's balcony, but you are the first person to describe graffiti as being romantic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not, well, <laughs> but wait a minute. That's a good point. The way I describe it on the, in the email is graffitied with love messages. Yeah. Because it's all hearts and I love my wife. So what is the deal with that? I have not been there, but as I understand it, people go there to this place and actually write little love messages. You're like allowed to to graffiti. There's when two I... or three walls. There's yeah. one wall that's just etched with you know paintings and people scribbling or whatever. Then there's another wall where there's post-its and messages attached. But I paired that Brut Rosé with something very interesting I'd never tasted before. It's fabulous. Check it out. I'm not sure where you can get it in their local market. But there is a pink cacao berry. You know, chocolate is brown and the berry is brown. But there's a rare Brazilian cacao bean that's pink. And it makes pink chocolate, uncolored, untouched by humans. It's just naturally pink. Wow. We paired that Brut Rosé with that bar of pink chocolate. That is very interesting. Now, I want to I throw an idea at you for a second, although, you know, you you sell all this stuff as part of your business, and I just throw it out there because I know a lot of people who have lost their jobs or their businesses have been put on hold because of COVID, and so they're, you know, they're economizing a bit, and so what I've been doing is, you know, we always talk about pairing chocolate and some sort of bubbly or, you know, some kind of fun wine with that chocolate. And where I'm steering people this year is I'm steering them towards sweet wines. Yeah, and, I, and I'm talking about beautiful sparkling Moscatos. Lambrusco, for Pete's sake, is making a big comeback. Yes, I it ha- is. And I have noticed, and I, I really want your opinion on this, I have noticed that people are really drinking a lot of sweet right now. Much more than I've ever seen before. So, you know, if you don't want to do the the chocolate and wine thing, just get some wines that are sweet because, you know, frankly, I'm going to tell you something. This is for all you listeners out there. Sweet wine is no longer about white Zinfandel. Okay? It's not. There's some <laughs> sweet wines out there that are just that, – that are rocking. And, you know, the Germans have always had it right. The, the sweeter the wine gets, the more expensive it is. In, in America, it's just the opposite. The sweeter it is, the cheaper it gets for another mm-hmm. – t- that's a discussion for another time. But you know what? Just go out and find yourself an ice wine from Niagara, and you'll be happy. And you'll probably yeah, – right. and, you, and you'll probably get some romance that night if you buy that. So you just – you know, you skip the chocolate if you like, or you know, buy Paul's. Well, you know, buy Paul's pink chocolate if that's what you want. Don't you know? Is that is that pink <laughs> chocolate good? Well, you know, it's funny. It's really quite good. And the chocolate, the the one that I paired with the uh, Brut, the Brut Prosecco was uh, called Flair. I, I think it's out of New York, but I'm sure there's other places that have it. Uh, they're not inexpensive chocolate bars, but the chocolatier puts. Um, uh, various, she, there's different versions. There's one called Tokyo, one called Paris, one called Honolulu, and she adds things to it. The one we featured is Paris because of the Mon Amour. You know, it's uh, the sweet thing's interesting because we started a sweet club and it's very popular. And what I want to tell your listeners about sweet wine is it's not about sugared wine. You know, people, right. so much of wine today is they actually add sugar. You're not, it's against right. the law in America to add like CNA sugar, but you can add grape sugar. 
And that is a different suite than what you're talking about. Okay. A real Moscato that's made from the real Moscato grapes that has a low alcohol content but high sugar because of the rest of the fermentation is real grape sugar from the grape and very elegant. A Vouvray, you know, a nice Vouvray from France would be very elegant sweet wine. Right. Just doctored up, sugared up. Sparkling wine and and you know and white you, truffle chocolate. Are you kidding? And and you mentioned you mentioned the uh, Moscato. I mentioned it, and you were just talking about it here. And you know what? We grow Moscato here in California, mm-hmm. and we make some delicious Moscato wines here in California. But I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to really tick off my California friends. I like the Italian Moscatos better. Okay, I'm saying it. I just like them better. And now I hopefully that's going to cause some of you to be ticked off, and you're going to just ship Moscato from California to me like mad. And you go ahead, feel free to do that, and I won't be mad. You, you send your, <laughs> you send yeah, we'll me, accept the samples as they come to the send door. Send me right? all the Moscato you want. I'm I want to be fair to you, but no, the, no, really, <laughs> frankly, the the Italian Moscato, it's just it's got that. Sexy Italian thing. They Paul, have character. Paul, I'm I'm half Italian, but I'm but sitting. That's it. But I'm sitting down, so you can't tell. But uh, no, I I'm half Italian, and <laughs> my my the name like Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> my mom's maiden name. Ready for this? Scacciannoce. Scacciannoce. That would be Italian, dude. That's Italian. You know what it means? It means to break no. nuts. Okay, I'll just leave it there. It's Valentine's, so let's just leave it there, right? My mother says, <laughs> David Warren Wilson, you behave or I'm going to scatch you noche, you. And, uh, yeah. They, <laughs> Northern Italian or Southern Italian? I'm, Sicilian, I'm, I'm Sicilian and Calabrese. Well, some good food and wine. Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Really All right, hey, we got to- I love Sicilian. We gotta, I, I do, too. We got to take a break, though. And now I'm hungry and I want some sweet wine. We're talking to Paul Calamcarian. Do you even use the junior? Dad's ninety something years old, right? So, does he care if you no, if you identify yeah. that way? Uh, he'll introduce me as junior, uh, even though we have different middle names. But you know, why not? I, I, I like I enjoy the legacy. I'm going to ask you a question when we come back. I'm going to preview the question. I want to know who is the more serious wine lover, all in all, you or your dad. But we'll answer that That's when we question. come back with Paul. Uh, gosh darn it! One segment left, not enough. We're going to have to do a lot more of this. Uh, but we'll make the most of it, and we'll just live with what we've got. That's what we'll do. It's uh, Grape Encounters Radio. <laughs> this is our pre-Valentine's Day edition. We'll be back after this. Even though I spend almost every waking hour trying to track down all things wine, it takes nearly superhuman powers to keep up with the folks at Total Wine & More. I remember the first time I ever set foot in a Total Wine and More store. My jaw literally dropped to the floor as I tried to comprehend the astonishing wine, spirit, and beer offerings that were suddenly at my fingertips, wonderfully organized for super easy navigation. How do they pull off such an amazing feat? Well, it all comes down to an incomparable team of experts that constantly searches every corner of the world for amazing products priced so you can enjoy them on any occasion. Total Wine doesn't just sell the same old, same old. They're always busy forging relationships with outstanding producers on every continent so that they're able to provide exceptional wines that are exciting and new to you at incredible savings. New discoveries, must-have favorites, and more than 8,000 wine choices that you can even explore from home on your laptop or phone. 
Explore Total Wine in whatever manner suits you best, in person or if you've come to enjoy that curbside experience, you can order online at TotalWine.com and pick up your wine in the store or just outside if a contactless experience is your preference. And make sure to check for special opportunities that are always plentiful at TotalWine.com. There are always plenty of reasons to get excited about your next Total Wine experience. We like to talk about wine. Did you know that there's a lot more going on in the world of Grape Encounters than what you hear each week on the radio show? If your answer is no, it means that you're not as plugged into our wild, wacky, and wonderful world of wine. But we can fix that right now. I really want to share a lot more with you than what we're able to do during the weekly show like wine recommendations, interesting ways you can play with your wine, information about upcoming wine happenings, and even recipes I've developed just for you. There are two things you can do to get plugged in. First, join the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook. Make sure it's the group page. Or you can sign up for our mailing list at GrapeEncounters.com. In coming weeks, I'll be doing giveaways, offering free online parties exclusively for you, and a lot more. Please, don't miss out. Connect with me on Facebook or at GrapeEncounters.com. You know, I love my job because I always have a lot of fun doing this show. But it's like 20% more than even what I generally do in terms of a fun factor. And that's because Paul Kelmkarian Jr. is on. And you know, I know what you're thinking. Callum Carrion, isn't that the family that started the Wine of the Month Club? Of course it is. Household name. <laughs> and Paul, how does that feel to be the foundation of wine clubs? Well, when we travel and I go to Napa quite frequently, actually, I take my little portable studio up and do some podcasting with winemakers and I, I ask them to thank me. <laughs> you owe me a thanks because <laughs> no, it's a great story. I love telling the story about my dad and how he came up with the idea. He's quite an academic guy. You know, obviously had no intention of starting a $3 billion industry, but we do take credit for it. I've been commissioning people to get his stories. Yeah, we have a whole litany of stories he's told to get us here. And it's pretty fun. Looking at the totality of each of your lives, who do you think would weigh in with more passion for wine? Wow. I guess I would. I figured that. And you know, if you ever get asked this question again, here's how I think you should answer it. Look, I have the advantage of having soaked up all of his passion and then building my passion on top of that incredible foundation that my father laid. So, of course, I have more passion. And that, too. You get off the hook. Okay. <laughs> uh, tell me this. You guys have a long history of being able to sell some really amazing, interesting wines. How can you sell wine that inexpensively? Great question. Uh, How do you make any money? I, it would take a two. It would take at least three shows for me to describe all the ways that wine hits the market. And because there's always overproduction, because there's always merchandise that somebody's made that they don't know to do it. It's always because uh, Silver Oak made their allocated twenty five thousand cases. Or well, let's take Opus for instance. Opus makes twenty five thousand cases a year. That's it. So their juice. Their leftover wine goes somewhere. And I'm not saying I buy it, but that's the way the industry works. It's agricultural. It ebbs and flows. So there's always really good wines available. The key difference is finding them. Yes. 
So if you're going to buy a wine from Groupon that's $3, like 15 bottles for 45 bucks, you're going to get $3 worth of wine because they, every time they have to go to Europe and buy this one euro per liter stuff, that's not the way we do business. Every Tuesday, I taste from 9 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Last Tuesday, I tasted 100 wines. The Tuesday before, I tasted 131 wines. They're from all over the world with all circumstances and how they ended up in the marketplace. Yeah. And some need to sell quicker than others. Some are cheaper than others. Some are more expensive. And yeah. I could, we could have so much yeah. fun talking about that. All right. You have your podcast. And by the way, can you just really quickly tell people where to find your podcast? It's Wine Talks with Paul K. It's available on all the platforms, Pandora, iHeart. Yeah. Radio, so they're Stitcher, all there. Spotify, and it's also a YouTube channel. Okay, so there, here's the question. Your favorite guest, or maybe a couple of your favorite guests of all time. Go. Well, there's, a, there's this Wilson guy on Grape Encounters. <laughs> uh, you may know him. We're gonna, you're going to be on the show. Uh, you know, I've done some pretty amazing stuff from first growth uh, winemakers to, you know, the smallest winemaker in Paso Robles. But I have to say, I had Stephen Spurrier, the author of The Judgment of Paris, on the oh, show. Wow, and I wow, had George wow. Tabor, the author of the book, on the show. And hearing those stories, just too much fun and too much history to, to not reflect and say, this is, this is a one special group. You got this thing. I don't know how many of these you did, but it's called The Man Which? with a Million Dollar Palette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and listen, I'm my wife t- hates that. Bit. Oh, no, this is like it's it's like so Paul is this he shows up in these situations as being sort of a sort of a Sean Connery kind of a guy. But he's suave and sophisticated and he puts romance back on track <laughs> and it's, it's all done with this 40s, 50s kind of a feel. It is Listen, Google this, okay? Because if you don't love Paul from this interview, you've got to go see this stuff because it's so good. If My- you go to the YouTube channel, Why the Month Club, you'll see the three episodes we shot of that. So it took Netflix something like a dozen years to get around to producing The Queen's Gambit, which is, if you haven't seen it, that is my favorite thing of all time, just about. I want to know if Netflix has approached you with regard to Man with the Million Dollar Palette. Are you holding out? What's going on? Because that- Yeah, we're in contract negotiations. It's too big to talk about. No, they haven't approached me. And I can tell you the idea, the idea of the Man with the Million Dollar Palette actually was from the 80s. There was a sales rep uh, who ran the Young's Market Company. That was on his business card. So I sort of lifted the idea from him. Uh, But- the three videos you're talking about, if you can believe this, were produced or directed by David Zucker, the famed director get out of, of get out of here. Naked Gun series. You're yeah. kidding me. And, and I had this idea. We wrote these scripts. They came out pretty funny. They're not exactly what I was looking for because that was the first time I'd been sort of a dramatic camera roll. But that, I had so much fun doing that, and I would do more. I have scripts. I've been writing scripts forever on this. So it's, it's, I appreciate it. If Netflix is listening to this, you know, I'm open to negotiations. You know what I'm going to do? I think I think next week I'm going to I'm going to grab um, one of those and see if they'll work uh, on radio. And if they don't work on radio, then what I'll do is I'll play them and I will describe what's going on the action. And we're okay, just going to, I'm just, funny. I'm just going to do that. Okay. That'll, that'll be your that's little funny. Treat, I'd appreciate treat. that. That's your treat <laughs> next week, guys. That's it. All right. That's going to do it for today. Paul, it's been a gas, serious gas. And I uh, really have enjoyed having you on. I can't let so much time go by and I'm going to be on your show too, right? And you know, maybe that's it. we'll get you on. We'll get my 
people in contact with you. And I really appreciate seeing you again. You, you look great. You sound great. And uh, congratulations on the success of the show. It's really great. All right. Paul Callum Carrion, Junior Wine of the Month Club. Listen, you know, it's it's Wine of the Month. It's wineofthemonthclub.com. Wineofthemonthclub.com. YouTube is the Wine of the Month Club, I think. And then, of course, the podcast Wine Talks with Paul K. This guy really, really vets out incredible wines and he passes them along at ridiculous prices. And I don't even know how he can afford that yacht or the plane. Or any of that stuff. <laughs> so it's, I guess he's sick. Yeah, exactly. So so <laughs> it's an amazing thing that he does because he gets into your hands some really, really great, really cool stuff at a very reasonable price. So check it out. Anyway, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. I'm having so much fun. I have to leave here now and have this smile surgically removed from my face. And many <laughs> thanks to you, Paul, for being on the show with me today. That's just been fun. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Back here next week. See you then. This edition of Grape Encounters has been brought to you by Total Wine & More. When Total Wine & More challenged themselves to keep more than 8,000 wines on hand, they pioneered a consumer experience that 99.999% of the population would have thought was impossible. It was an undertaking that I still can't totally get my arms around today. But I've spent many hours of my personal time being that adult kid in a candy store, using my mouse to learn about their extremely affordable top 20 wines of the year, or learning eye-opening details about the iconic winemakers behind Total Wine's Legends of Wine collection. TotalWine.com is an online resource so rich with content, it's hard to imagine a more satisfying wine-related experience. Spend all the time you want at TotalWine.com or at your nearest store. Just make sure you're back here with me at the same time next week for another Grape Encounter. Mm-hmm.